Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. I am so excited for the topic that today's episode is covering. This is actually something that I've wanted to talk about for so long and I've been waiting to have the right guests to come and talk about it with me and this really beautiful serendipitous thing happened that I will explain. Um, Oh no, I explained it actually before we started recording, but okay. Backing up. Today's guest is Katie Gaddy. She is also known as Money with Katie. She's the host of the Money with Katie show. Amazing podcast. I've learned so much from it. And she is a personal finance expert and really the personal finance face of our generation. And she recently started working with Morning Brew and is absolutely crushing it. And I am Twitter friends with the Morning Brew's CEO, Austin. Shout out Austin. And he reached out to me um, and DM me being like, do you know of any podcast hosts who would want to have Katie on to talk about like finance and stuff? And I'm like, Austin, it is literally on my to-do list for today to reach out to personal finance experts to invite them on seeing other people to cover this topic. And it was awesome. And I've been super excited to have Katie on. And yeah, I think the topic of money with dating, money with relationships, money with everything from who pays for the first date to when people decide to move in together, should it be 50-50 rent split? Or if somebody makes more, should they be paying more, like a higher percentage of rent, et cetera, et cetera. And also to like combining your finances if and when you get married and how to plan to be able to afford things like kids in a house. And it's something that I've always been really conscious of money. Um, I definitely have had trouble spending money. Like I'm a very big saver. Um, but then I'd always splurge on things like vacations or concerts. But I mean, and and I talk about this in the episode, but like I was making literally like basically minimum wage coming out of college. And so for a while, I was just eating like canned food, literally, because that's all I could afford. Um, but So I think because of that experience, I'm kind of like afraid to spend money. But at the same time, like I did take this big risk with not applying to a job and trying to start seeing other people and all that. And so now, especially with freelancing, like I don't have a quote unquote salary. I have no idea how much money I'm going to make for this year. And that's been something that I've been having to navigate just month to month. Like, okay, what's the minimum amount of money that I need to make? Do I need to pick up extra jobs this month? Or am I going to be okay? Like, do I need to close this deal or get this other sponsorship in order to be able to pay my rent, to pay for my health insurance, stuff like that. And when you are dating and when you are starting a life with someone else, all of your money problems and money thoughts have to become theirs and all of theirs have to become yours. And yes, you want to go into a relationship where you're both like financially stable and, and have your shit together. But A, that's not always the case. B, things change all the time. I never expected to lose my job and I did. Um, and these are really kind of sensitive topics and topics that we're not used to talking about. You know, I think we come from a world, I mean, my parents would say like, never tell anyone your salary. And while that, while they were saying that, like my friends and I all knew how much each other made and how much rent was. And my parents were like, no, nobody should ever know that. And I know it's something like kind of salary transparency is a hot topic right now. And even I was out on the streets of New York city, uh, trialing a finance show yesterday asking people like how much money do you make and how much money do you pay in rent and do you like what you do and it's just such a hot topic that we we're kind of taught to not talk about but we're all better for it if we do talk about it if you know that somebody on your team who's doing the same job as you is making 
10 or $20,000 more than you, that's important. Like you should know that because you should be making that amount of money too. And I mean, I could go on about this literally forever, but I will not because Katie's a lot better at it. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about literally everything that has to do with money and, and finances, with dating, with relationships. And we have some amazing listener questions at the end. So definitely stick around for those. And you guys do not forget if you have not given a five-star rating on Spotify yet, please, please do that. It takes actually two seconds. And if you have not given a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and you would like to do so, again, that goes such a long way. I appreciate it so, so much. And share this episode to your story if you love it on Instagram. Um, tag us, tag say other people, tag on and done. Send it to your group chat. There is so much to learn from this episode and from Katie. Like I cannot think of a single person that is not going to walk away from this episode having learned a shit ton. So without further ado, let's do it. We are leveling up. We're figuring out our dating lives. We're learning how to take better care of ourselves. We're cooking healthy meals instead of ordering takeout every night. And we're being more cognizant of what goes into our bodies. Now, you know, I have you covered with the dating part and Caraway Home has you covered with the rest. It's time to ditch the chemicals with Caraway Home's non-toxic cookware and bakeware collections so you can make healthier cooking a piece of cake. Caraway Home's non-toxic kitchenwares are all designed for the modern home and feature a chemical-free ceramic coating so food can be prepared with peace of mind that no hard-to-pronounce compounds will leach into your healthy ingredients. I've been using Caraway's saute pan. I got it in gray and it is without a doubt the trendiest and cutest thing in my apartment. And the best part about it is that when I cook, nothing sticks to it. It makes for the best experience and makes cooking so much more enjoyable. How great it is to use and knowing that it's non-toxic and eco-friendly has led me to cook so much more. So I'm actually saving money and eating healthier and I feel great. You know, whether it's for myself, when a friend comes over to tell me every detail of their date from the night before, or for a cozy date night in, my Caraway cookware has been stepping up my game and helping me stay healthy in every way. All of their cookware and bakeware products also make amazing wedding gifts or engagement gifts. And I know you guys have those coming up. So you can check your gift search off the list. Visit carawayhome.com slash seeing other people to take advantage of a limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for seeing other people's listeners. Visit carawayhome.com slash seeing other people or use code seeing other people at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. All right, and we are here. We have Money with Katie in the house. Welcome to seeing other people. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here. I would love just to kind of set the stage if you could introduce yourself and your new role with Morning Brew and also just like what you do because you're the biggest expert on what you do and you can say it better <laughs> than I just did in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So my name's Katie. I go by Money with Katie on the internet. That's kind of the, I am starting to realize it's like a little bit of a character. My real name is Katie Gaddy Tossan, but um, yeah, so I, uh, I am at, in the simplest terms a personal finance content creator. So started out as a blogger and then the blog kind of started to bleed over onto Instagram where I was like, oh, I can post videos of myself awkwardly talking about this topic for 60 seconds at a time. That's definitely what I'm going to do. And then that turned into a podcast and then a newsletter. And now we're with Morning Brew. So we've been slowly, steadily growing over time. But at, at its core, Money with Katie is really about pursuing financial freedom and understanding how you can use money in your life to live a really good life. And I think it's easy to lose the plot sometimes 
with respect to, oh, it's all about the money. I mean, it, for God's sakes, it's literally called money with Katie. But I think when it, what it really boils down to is like the money is just the means to an end. So I try to really bring that kind of existential layer into the conversation because I find that just talking about the numbers in a vacuum tends to go in one ear and out the other for people. Totally. And it's really impressive how you've done it. I feel like you take such a difficult topic and you make it like you break it down. So it's really digestible. And I think that's part of the reason why it's been so successful because people have so many questions about finances, about how do I plan for the future? How do I do this thing? It's like, we never were taught that, which is so crazy to me, I guess, unless maybe you're a finance major. Like for me, I'm like, why was there not a life 101 course that taught me about 401ks that taught me about like everything else? And there just wasn't. And so you kind of provide that for people. <laughs> and I thank you for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's funny. There's, there's a lot of things that I feel that way about healthcare being another one having children I'm like how the hell do you take care of a baby like the fact that there's no no, like handbook that they send you home with I'm like I got more instructions that came in the iPhone box than than what I've heard I don't have kids yet that's partially why because I'm low-key terrified but yeah money is something that I think I wanted to teach people about it because when I knew nothing I was like oh I guess this is just every man for himself like everybody just has to go out and figure this out on their own And once I realized how important the information was and how much starting early can like change the rest of your life, I was like, okay, well, I want to share this with other people. So that's kind of how we ended up here. I love it. I'm laughing about the kids thing. I mean, I think about that all the time where I'm like, okay, my parents had three kids. Like I would love to have three kids. Holy shit. Yeah. That's expensive. Yeah. Better start the daycare fund now. Right. (laughs) Like I don't understand. And even now, like I have a, a, almost one-year-old puppy and like anytime it's been a whole journey of like getting him to be able to be left alone but it's like anytime I want to like leave for more than a few hours I either have to like pay someone to watch him or like bring him to daycare and I'm like wow this is what it's going to be like for the rest of my life pretty much totally totally we were with our nephews the other night one's three and one's like almost a year old and um yeah, every time I hang out with them, I'm like, you all are so cute and you bring me so much joy, but holy shit, I have no idea how your parents do this. Like, you yeah. have to be You're watching so cute and so both expensive of them. and so yes, at all times. So it's like, not only yeah. are they expensive, but it's like a huge energy drain. And I've, I've talked to other financial, you know, content creators in this space that have basically said, like, reaching financial independence and becoming financially free as a single person or as a married couple with no kids is a walk in the park compared to doing it with children so they're like as much as you can do before you have kids that's the time to really make the progress because once you introduce the littles into the equation it's like infinitely harder Totally. I mean, I remember growing up and anytime we'd get a like birthday present, my siblings and I, like, from my grandparents, it'd be like a check for a thousand dollars, which of course, like so generous, so kind. And I'd be like, I want the money. And my parents would be like, it's in your college fund. You'll yeah. get it someday. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Into the 529 account. <laughs> right. I See, I, I've never even heard of that until just now. <laughs> um, that's but, the college saving. That's like the college investment fund, which yeah, we're already we, learning. We, today, we won't guys. even get into that. But yes, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I, yeah, I was always like, that's not fair. Like, that's my money. And that's my present. And I want it. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, Alana, like you yeah, you needed that in your college fund. Mm-hmm. Very much so you chose to go to a very expensive college. <laughs> 
They're like, um, oh, you're still going to yeah. get it, but well, actually your college is going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Even the other day, my friend was um, graduating. She's about to graduate from medical school. And she said that like the school threw them this huge party. It was like almost like a bar mitzvah or a wedding. And it was like a DJ and dance floor and food and all this stuff for like six hours. And she's like, yeah, like they paid for it. It was so nice. I'm like, no, 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 you paid for it. Yeah. yeah let's not get it twisted. No, it's like exactly. your student loans paid for that. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's so. a vicious cycle, self-fulfilling uh, prophecy of it costs more. And so you pay more and then they have more money. So they have to provide a better experience because it costs so much. And then the flywheel continues. I'm stressed. Me too. <laughs> okay. No kids so, ever. 2022. Ever. Literally. Okay. We're here to talk about money when it comes to dating relationships, um, personal finance with all of that tied in. There are a lot of things I'm really excited to cover today. One thing I wanted to start with though, I heard on an episode of your show, you gave a stat out there that like my jaw dropped and it was <laughs> that around 40% of divorces from Gen Z had to do with money and money problems. Hmm. I actually don't even remember that statistic. Gen Z, wait, Gen Z divorces? Sorry, 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 sorry. Gen Z is not getting divorced yet. I was like, well, aren't Back they like up. 18? <laughs> Back it up. 40% of Gen X divorces. Gen X, okay, now we're tracking. I was like, I'm I so must be putting- Gen Z. <laughs> I know, I'm like, I must be producing shit in my sleep because I have no recollection of saying that. Yeah, I mean, it's really not. The thing is, I was almost surprised it wasn't higher because when you think about- what a fraught topic money is and and the traumatic and sometimes emotional relationship that you as an individual can have with money and all that's wrapped up in that regardless of you know how you were raised whether you had or did not have money how much you earn now where you live there are almost incalculable variables that are going to determine the relationship that you personally have with money. So when you put another person into the mix and you put the two of you together under the same roof and you bring all of their shit too, it's like emotional shit, not, not literal. I mean, that probably comes too, but in any Naturally. case, yes, in any case, it's uh, it's something that if you're not talking about it and if you're not arriving at some conclusion of how you want money to function in your relationship it doesn't really surprise me that people end up kind of hitting the skids I mean there is no freedom without financial freedom if you are worried about how you're going to pay rent it is very difficult to care or to be engaged with like pretty much anything else and so I think when you introduce that level of strain and stress on a relationship which is already so complex as you know it's kind of the perfect storm. So there are obviously ways to mitigate that, but I'm sure everybody listening can think back to at least one couple that they saw when they were kids, whether that was a neighbor or a friend or maybe their own family where mom and dad were always fighting about money or one was doing something that the other didn't know about. And it, it contributes to that degradation of trust in the relationship and respect like I think trust money and respect are so intertwined that it can it can almost serve as like a signal for other issues yeah absolutely one just kind of taking things back a step for people who haven't really taken that dive into the personal finance world can you just define financial freedom sure so I think that there are subjective definitions of this when I say financial freedom I'm really referring to the concept of financial independence, which is the point at which you have enough money that you no longer need to work anymore. And 
that sounds like, oh my God, that must be $10 million, 20 million. Like how could you ever have enough to where you didn't have to work anymore? But the really interesting thing about how financial independence math works is when you are invested in something like the stock market or something like the real estate market, if you have income properties or you have a, you know, some business that produces cash flow for you that you're not directly involved in, you are receiving either dividend income or just capital gains income from the value of those things going up. And so it's kind of like like how we talked about the college flywheel that's like a, a death loop. This is like the opposite of a death loop. This is a fun loop because it's it's effectively just that you have invested so much money now in income producing assets that the income you're getting from those assets is more than you uh than you would make at your job or at the very minimum it's enough to live on. So that you don't have to be at that point to feel secure. But I think that's the point at which everyone should be striving for, because ultimately that's what gives you that optionality of like, oh, I don't like my job. I want to quit. Or like, I would prefer to do this side hustle that doesn't really make any money, but it's what makes me happy. And I want to go try to make it make money. Um, Those are the types of things that I think as you progress closer to financial freedom and as you're, you know, making progress on that path, you might not be there yet, but when you've made enough progress, you start to understand and kind of see how like, oh, the options in front of me are like broadening. My, my, my life paths are starting to multiply. I can kind of go in other directions now because I'm not mandated to be tied to this employer that is providing me a paycheck. Right. That Yeah, that was a great uh, definition and explanation. So thank you for that. Um, I laugh at the that last example of like that side hustle that you want to turn into. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting because for me, when I think about how it was for my parents, like I, I mean, I, my parents like didn't have much growing up, you know, like they were not like they didn't come from money, like they worked really, really, really hard. And the life that they were able to provide for my siblings and I was like a dream life and a dream for me and a dream for them. And I think about now, like having this start that like this fortunate start, like I am really lucky to say like, I do not have student debt. Like I don't mm-hmm. have college loans that I have to pay off. And even with that, I feel like there is like a giant mountain ahead of me that I'm going to have to climb and I'm never going to reach the top and like be able to like calmly walk down. Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like it is so hard. And like, unless you have a job where you're making so much money. And I knew that I was going into a field where that wasn't necessarily going to happen. And it's one thing that there's actually a listener question about this that I'll get to later, but like kind of, you know, like you graduate college and you're with your friends and you're all like in the same place. It's an even playing field. And then some people get jobs where they're making like six figures out of college. Other people get jobs where they're making $30,000 out of college. And you just start to develop these really different lifestyles and go down these really Mm -hmm. different paths. And, and tying that back into dating, I've seen a lot of friends of mine end up dating, getting engaged to and marrying now people who come from a lot of money Mm -hmm. and it's really almost like, it's like so happy for them. They found their person, but, and I'm sorry to my friends who are listening to this. Like, it's a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, like they actually don't have to work another day in their life mm. if they don't want to. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's a really, 
you know, I was just reading. <laughs> I'm going to reveal how much of a garbage person I am. I was watching the ultimatum on Netflix and then I was oh my God. reading the oh. ultimatum subreddit because obviously, and there was this one thread that got started about Alexis and how Alexis was very upfront on the show about I'm looking for someone that can provide a certain lifestyle to me and people are sounding off in the replies some people are like oh my god how could you say that that's not what marriage is about she's a gold digger come to find out she's a very high paying job in software sales she makes a lot of money so that that does almost even make that comment a it might even change your perspective on that comment once you hear like, oh, but she makes a lot of money too. She's not unemployed just looking for her meal ticket. Right. And then you have other people in the comments that are like, well, wait a second. Why are we bashing her for being upfront about what she wants? If she knows True. that she wants a certain lifestyle, it's actually probably better in some ways to acknowledge it and be forthright about it instead of kind of keeping that to yourself and then maybe marrying someone that is not interested in the same lifestyle as you are and then dealing with conflict later. So I think it's an interesting topic now that it's something that has always been, Oh, my dog's barking. Sorry. Swept under the rug um, to some extent, or there is that typecast trope of like the young woman who doesn't want to work and wants to get the MRS degree and wants to just, marry into money. And honestly, I think that actually exists a lot less than we would believe it does. I think most most women that I talk to are pretty interested in providing for themselves and contributing and being self-made and earning their own money. But I, I do think that that conversation, maybe not that extreme, but dialing it back a little bit and being like, what type of lifestyle do I expect to live? What am I used to? What kind of lifestyle do I want to live? I'm going to work hard to provide myself that lifestyle, but I want you to work hard to provide it for us too. I think that's actually pretty justified. I mean, if anything, it's just being honest about what your expectations are. So I know that that's a little bit tangential to your comment about having friends that have married into a lot of money. Um, and I imagine that because of how old we are, that it's the, the person who they're marrying likely has that money from their family and not necessarily right. from having some long, illustrious career that they've maybe some of them are, you know, sold a company or whatever and came into their own money. But most people our age that have tons and tons of money, and I'm talking like many millions of dollars, you're either it's family money that you've inherited or you exited a company and you sold to Google or something of that nature. There's not that many people that are late 20s, early 30s that have accumulated that much wealth any other way because there simply hasn't been enough time in the workforce to do so. But yeah, I guess my take on that is like, if you are used to a certain lifestyle and you know that that's what you want, I think that's something that you can feel free to own. I mean, I, I wouldn't shy away from that. I would be very upfront about that. So um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even plan to bring that up at all. But it is something that like, I know some of my friends and I talk about it where it's it. Yeah, like we're so happy for our other friends, but it's hard. Like, mm -hmm. when we're like, how are we going to afford kids, you know, and of course, yeah. we'll figure it out, we will. But it's just, it's something that you we are thinking about a lot. And I mean, I have a friend who's been dating somebody for like, at least five years now, like, loves this guy so much. And I think it's been hard for her to be like 110%. Like, yes, he is the person I'm going to spend my life with because he, she knows he a doesn't come from money. B he doesn't have a very high paying job and he's mm -hmm. probably not going to. And she grew up a certain way and she 
has always envisioned that life for herself. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, I love him so much. And this is terrible to say, but I don't know if I can marry him because this isn't going to be the life that I planned Mm. for myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in some ways that is so reflective of, and almost a microcosm of the situation and the economic reality that we're in, in the United States right now. We're in a very weird time in history where simultaneously things have never been better. It's never been easier to invest. It's, you can, I literally this morning got this Starbucks order delivered to my front door in 15 minutes. I can go downstairs and watch thousands of different television shows at the click of a button that I pay $4.99 a month for. I mean, there has been so much advancement and so much uh, value added to these kind of like consumerist goods that just make our lives so much better. Yet at the same time, there's this weird dichotomy where it's like on the other end of the spectrum and the other extreme is like education has never cost more. Healthcare has never cost more. Childcare has never cost more. Housing, forget about it. Like the yep. things that we actually need to survive and to live comfortably are getting further and further out of reach. I think the median income for a family in America in 2000 was like $78,000, $78,100. And in 2016, that same number was like $78,500, which means when you control for inflation, the average wage or the median wage rather is actually going down for the middle class. So it's there. And there are so many, like we could spend 45 minutes just talking about why that's happening. And I have before money with Katie show shameless plug, but (laughs) The reality is that that's the that's the world we're all living in right now as millennials and as Gen Z in the United States of America. And so some of that, you know, to me, I'm like, it's almost to me, the answer almost feels like a compromise of like recognizing that it's very likely that because of the economic situation we're in, unless we're really strategic early on and really hustle that we may not be able to have as nice of lives as our parents were able to give us. I see plenty of people that are in that boat where their parents became very, very independently wealthy, self-made. And those same kids are like, I'm never going to be able to live the life that my parents gave me ever. Like, unless I really (laughs) strike it rich somehow, there's no way. Um, And so there's some of that, I think, compromise and just coming to terms with reality. But at the same time, I think in a weird way, like I really give your friend credit for having a pragmatic attitude toward marriage. I mean, marriage is it's a legal binding contract. I don't know what could be less romantic. I'm married. And even we were we got married in a courthouse with bars on the windows. I mean, I was like, this is, it's, it's sweet to pledge yourself to another person, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a very practical decision with a lot of financial implications. And I think going into those implications blind or ignoring them spells trouble for both people. If you are anything like me and you are going on a date, you're probably like, nervous, but also excited, but just like really want to have a good time. Don't want to screw anything up. And you get like the pre-date jitters. Um, For me, there were two things that I would do to help with those pre-date jitters. I would always call a friend for a little pump up speech. And I would also take a happy gummy from Mindset Wellness CBD before my date. It would help me stay in the right mood, being excited, being present, but it would also take away that layer of nerves that was going to stop me from being my best self 
on the date. I love the happy gummies. They are incredible. They taste great. They don't make you feel high or anything like that. They just make you feel like the best version of yourself. So try them today. Definitely recommend trying them before a date. MindsetWellnessCBD.com. Use code seeing other people at checkout. That will get you 20% off and free shipping. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the topic of like going into these things blind, I think it's so important to be talking about finances with your partner. And yes, I mean, like you said earlier, like if you don't do that, like that's what will end up leading to something like divorce because you haven't discussed it. You haven't figured out how you're going to approach certain topics. You haven't gotten aligned on the way you're going to approach them. And so that kind of brings me to one of the big things I want to talk about, which is finances, navigating finances and navigating, talking about that when you're kind of in the early stages of dating. And we see that as early as the first date and what happens at the end of the first date when the check comes. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're dating, it can be so easy to get caught up in the stress and anxiety of every situation. Why aren't they communicating? Why didn't they text me back? Am I getting ghosted? Why is this happening again? Why can't someone commit? I've asked myself all of these questions too, more times than I can count. You wouldn't believe what happens when you approach these situations with a different mindset and focus on solutions instead of problems. I started therapy because I was so stuck on the problems in my dating life. My therapist helped me learn why I was ending up in the same situations over and over and helped me come up with a different way and a different mindset to approach dating. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. Whether you want to be a better problem solver or a better dater, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash other people today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash other people. I have to give a quick shout out to Anchor. If you don't know about Anchor, it's Spotify's podcast platform, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Trust me. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's free, and you know I love free. Second of all, their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast directly from your phone or computer. What could be easier than that? Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you want it played. You can also make money from your podcast, no matter how few downloads you get regularly. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hope you love today's episode. And this is something that it's like obviously an age-old question, but there are so many different opinions on it and on what it means if somebody wants to split the check. And maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it means, like, maybe like, and again, this is, we're talking about like a hetero situation here, but like maybe it means that the guy wants the girl to feel good about herself and wants to pay. And then there are some girls who are like, if this person does not pay for me on the date, like screw that, I'm never talking to them again. And then there are some girls who want to pay because they don't want to feel like they owe the person something. And then there are some people who should are like, no, like if like you should never feel like you have to owe them something like it is such a crazy topic. Yeah. yeah it's very complicated. That's so funny. So I'm going to just be honest about how I've always felt about this. This is not some enlightened financial perspective. I mean, this is truly just how I feel. I always would go into dates, especially very first date, second date, those very early phases. I, wanted to feel like that person wanted to treat me. So I always kind of expected the person to pick up the tab. Um, but I would, you know, you like kind of do the, the check dance where you like go to go for your wallet and you like wait for them to say that they'll pay. And I don't know that I would assume if they let me split it with them that they weren't interested. But I do think 
if I'm being completely honest, I have in some ways kind of internalized that kind of chivalrous expectation of like the man should pay on the first date. And I say that someone who's like a raging feminist who out earns my husband. So like, it's not that I think that that has to remain the structure in the relationship or that you should always, I mean, and after the first few dates, we did start splitting it, but it was to me personally, a matter of courtesy of wanting to feel desired, I think. And like, oh, this person wants to treat me that this is like a romantic display. But again, that's a very gendered uh, expectation. And I acknowledge that it's gendered. And sometimes I joke that I've, <laughs> I'm like the bad feminist that I'm like, well, I still want you to open the door for me and pay for my stuff. But also I can do it myself and we should be equal. <laughs> it's yeah, like, exactly. yes, I should. And I could, but like, eh. so I think it is probably a matter of personal opinion on that. And um, I don't think that any of those perspectives are wrong, much like I think a lot of the other stuff in the dating world. It's like you can have personal preferences and ultimately finding somebody that has similar preferences or maybe has different preferences, but would, you know, you enjoy that kind of push and pull and they're opening your mind to other ways. Like, I think that that's kind of like a broader part of dating in general. So yeah, the short answer is that I always expected the guy to pay for yeah, no, I think you make such a good point. And I think it's also like, if as long as somebody's open to understanding your preferences. And that's why I think like, if you know that like, like if you're a girl and you want to split the bill or you want to pick up like the second date or something and you think that, oh, I don't want this guy to take this the wrong way and assume that I'm not interested, you can just say like this, I'm, I want to pay, but that doesn't mean I'm not interested. Like I do want to see you again. Totally. You know? Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. I think on our, my husband and I's first date, he bought dinner and then we went out for another round of drinks afterward and I paid for those. So I think that's another way to do it. We're like, totally. so, for some reason though, just like splitting it straight down the middle and like putting both cards in always feels so transactional to me, which is like, mm-hmm we didn't combine finances for like six months after we got married. We'd be Venmo requesting each other for like $4 at the time. And eventually we were like, this is stupid. Like we're literally married. We are legally bound together. So I think there's, there's almost like a, I get a little bit. um, Yeah. I can see how that could be a little bit transactional to be like enforcing the split, but it's like, Oh, we're going to go for somewhere for dessert and I'll pay her. We're going to go get drinks somewhere and I'll pay her. Hey, next date's on me. Like, I think that it's, it's more about that. Like, I think, um, it's more about the courtesy, I think, and like wanting to show the other person that like, hey, I'm going to pick up the tab this time or like, oh, this time you are. I think that's kind of where the dynamic is. It's more like fun than like right. a, a business transaction. Totally. I think the concept of it, I mean, again, like I also, yeah, I want the guy to pay for the first date. Like I will t- pay for the next one or I'll split them moving forward. But yeah, I always did kind of expect that. And it's such a funny and like crazy concept because it's like, think about how many first dates we went on. And it's like, we didn't have to pay for those. But like, I feel so bad for my guy friends who did. Mm-hmm. And for all the guys who like paid for my dinner when I, and I'm sitting there being like, I'm never going to see this person again. 
and then I know like some people are like oh well there's like the gender wage gap so it's okay they can afford it and like that is on one hand true like that does make me feel a little better and then I know like I've also kind of encouraged my friends to go on dates they didn't want to go on but like at the last second they're like oh I want to cancel I'm like it's fine just go you'll get the free meal like I've made the same joke I know it's so bad it's terrible I really I do feel bad about it because it does like it's one of those things and I think this is this is such a honestly a great example of how our cognitive or our the 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 perspectives that we are cognizant of and like truly have thought through those perspectives can sometimes butt up against like our emotional deeply held beliefs where if this if you took this completely out of context and said two people are meeting for the first time who should pay it's like well they should split the bill obviously but then you put it in the context of like a date and it's a guy and he's taking you out it's like well obviously he should pay for me so i th- i think that that's where even being aware of of where your beliefs or where your money stories don't actually align to what you actually more broadly believe in is kind of helpful because I think the more you can unpack those sorts of things and the more we can question conventional wisdom about how things should go. Um, You know, in the dating realm, I think women tend to benefit from male affection, but then there are other areas of society where financially women are at a severe detriment. And so Mm -hmm. I think we can't, we can't have one without the other. We can't fix one without addressing the other. And ultimately I think, um, you know, I can be all for equality, but that that's where I kind of have to ask myself, like, why do you think that way? Why would it have offended you if a guy wanted you to pay or to split the bill? Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really interestingly loaded topic. Yeah, those are really I don't want to say funny, but like they are funny questions to ask. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, like, why do we think these things and why are we so stern on our opinion of them? I'm like, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's going to keep me up tonight. Um, <laughs> okay. So let's say the check comes, whatever happens, it goes well. A few more dates are going well. Things are heating up. Um, at what point in a relationship should couples start talking about finances? At what point should you share like how much money you make? Like when and how should those conversations happen? It's a really good question. I think This feels like one of those topics where somebody's independent perspective and comfort with the topic is probably going to dictate that to some degree. I don't, I know that it's a bit of a cop-out answer. I don't know that there's like, oh, by the fourth date, you should have discussed this. I definitely don't think- there isn't an answer like that. You know what I mean? I do think though that the, I know personally the way it came up for, uh, me in past relationships and in my current marriage, the way that I ended up discussing those things with somebody was usually through the segue of career, like talking about what we did for a living and like wanting a promotion. Those, those conversations tend to ease into it a little bit because then you can start to throw out numbers as broader context for the career conversations. Cause let's be honest. If you just came out, like I make a hundred thousand dollars a year. How much do you make? People are like, what the fuck? Like, that's so weird. That would feel very prying and intrusive. But I think if you're having conversations about your ambition or your goals, or like, I would really like to save this amount by the time I'm this age, or I would really like to make this amount kind of framing it in that goal context or like with the prospect of ambition wrapped around it, as opposed to hard and fast transactional data, mm-hmm. I think that that um, that has worked well for me in the past. And it was interesting, too, because I think you tend to make assumptions or you you will 
form assumptions about how much money somebody has based on the way they dress and where they live and the kind of car they drive and the way they carry themselves. And those assumptions are not necessarily always accurate. I know a lot of people that seem very wealthy that don't have much. And I know a lot of people that are sitting on millions of dollars that wear thrift store clothes. So I guess I would caution that type of it's it's almost impossible, right? Like it's human nature to look at context clues and try to deduce like what you know about that person or what you can assume to be true about them. But I think those assumptions can get people into hot water because um, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. So I think the expectation of somebody being transparent with you almost has to start with you being transparent with them. So if you're trying to start that conversation with somebody, I do think starting again from the ambition kind of side of career and like goals is a nice way to bring it up. But I think you also have to be comfortable with like divulging those things to them of like, I have student loan debt of this amount or like, Hey, I'm working on some credit card debt. This is something I'm working on. And ultimately these conversations about money inside of relationships kind of circling back to what I said in the very beginning of the episode about how it's very tied to trust and respect. I think it comes down to honestly, a lot of like, the actual dynamic you have with that person and how honest you feel like you can be with them, how receptive they are to you. Do they trust you? Do you trust them? Do they respect you and vice versa? Like, I think those qualities of the deeper relationship are going to really dictate the foundation on which the financial conversations happen. And so I would almost take it as a little bit of a red flag if you feel very, very nervous about talking to somebody about something this serious. If it's like, oh my God, I just don't know how they're going to react or they're going to get mad at me or they're going to judge me. It's like, hold on though. Do you really want to date somebody where telling them about your financial situation is like spurring these concerns in you? Like it could actually be quite a good sign of like red flags that you're ignoring in other areas. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of, where I would take that is like the the broader health of the relationship. I think it's almost like a good barometer for that and how you're feeling about bringing it up. And you obviously don't want to be on the second date, like divulging, every, whipping out your net worth balance sheet. But those conversations do tend to come up organically. And I think the way that you both approach them, whether it's like with respect and trust and transparency, or if it's like you're not wanting to talk about it at all, that that is sometimes a, a signal of something a little bit deeper going on, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many points that you made where I'm like, I'm like nodding my head the whole time. Like, that's going to be hurting after this. Like, uh, I do want to say that is how Jake and I also ended up talking about it. Like, mm. we were talking about our careers. And I do think we were very, like, I think we talked about it a little early because we both, when we had met, had recently lost our jobs. Mm. And I was just starting seeing other people. And he had just sat in a new job and then ended up getting a promotion like a month into mm. us dating. So, like, it did come up naturally. But, like you said, in the context of our careers and our career goals. And I mean, I had absolutely no shame talking to guys I was dating about the fact that when I graduated college and got a job, I was making $35,000 a year. And after mm -hmm. my first year had a uh, raving, glowing review. And my boss was like, I'm so excited to give you all this extra money and this raise. I went from making $35,000 a year to making $35,600 a year. That pains me. I, my so heart much. just dropped. That is yeah. horrendous. Were you living yep. in New York City? I was living in New York City. Oh, that's like rent money. I How? literally ate canned tuna and canned tomato soup 
um, for most of my meals. And I would like park myself outside of the conference room on days where I knew there were like lunch meetings. To try oh my and God. Get, I like, did the same sandwich. thing. I literally did yeah. the same thing. Someone made an email, like a Slack channel at work for about which conference yeah. rooms had food in them. And we would go in and like yep. fill up the Tupperwares. Oh my God. Yeah. Humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah, so That is I wild. Was, I was always super open about that. Cause I mean, it was part of my experience and, um, yeah, but, um, going back to what you said about like, if you're going to like hope that that person's going to tell you these things or that they're going to share the information with you, like you can't expect that of someone unless you're also willing to share the information for mm-hmm. yourself with them. Um, and with what you said about the student debt thing, like student loans, I've heard of situations where people have gotten engaged and in their wedding planning, it has come up that they owe however many thousands of dollars left in student loans. That it's like, is terrifying. You cannot, you cannot get engaged to somebody unless you have had these conversations. That's And that's actually kind of where, what, how I wanted to wrap a neat bow around that answer is like, it almost doesn't matter when you talk about it or how long it takes you to get comfortable to talk about it. As long as you're doing it before that next step happens, like, to your point, I would never get engaged to somebody without knowing what the heck was going on under the hood for them. Because once you get married, I mean, and, and prenups are a totally different conversation here, but once you get married, not only do their assets kind of become your assets again, assuming you get without a prenup, but their debt becomes your debt. So yep. there are really terrifying stories of people getting married not knowing that their partner had a gambling problem or a shopping problem or was spending up all this money on credit cards under their nose. The marriage falls apart. They get divorced. Well, guess what? Now half that credit card debt is yours. You're, you are legally responsible for that debt. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's just, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that that you can you know sign a legal document binding you to another person without having those conversations without asking those questions and again it doesn't have to be contentious it doesn't have to be adversarial it doesn't have to I mean like blame and guilt have like no place in any of this but you want to be coming at your finances from the perspective of we are a team we are building yeah. together we are paying off the debt together this is you and me holding each other accountable, not like we're on separate islands with the curtains up and neither one of us knows what's happening on the other island, but we're just hoping that like everything is going to be okay. It's like, that's just not a chance that I would be willing to take for anybody. I don't care how in love I am. It's like, that is a prerequisite. Kind of like how people say, you need to talk about your plans for having children before you get married too. Yep. You don't want to get married and then find out, oh my God, my one goal in life is to be a mom. And he says, he'll never have a child. It's like, well, that's probably something we should have addressed <laughs> before yeah, and, walking and the down earlier, the aisle. The earlier, the better. If you know that you want kids, you can bring that up on the first date. Like mm-hmm. that should come up. Or if you know that you don't want kids, that should absolutely come up within mm-hmm. the first two or three dates because you don't want to waste someone else's time, especially if you're so misaligned on, on your goals and your intentions. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, it's so funny because not uh, like three different thoughts going on at once right now. Oh my God. I love this topic. Um, no, one thing is that, yeah, you like, even if you're afraid to talk about it, like you said, that could be a red flag about other relationship issues going on behind the scenes, but this is your partner. Like, like you said, like you're a team and maybe this person can help you. Maybe this person can help you plan and figure out how you're going to save more, figure out how you're going to pay whatever loans or debts off, you know, like, they're your person. And if you're trying to be in a lifelong partnership with them, 
let them in, like let them yes. help you or let them know that this is something that is there that's a weight on your shoulders because that's what they're there for. Like mm-hmm. it's exactly like the good and the bad, sickness, exactly. health, death, not death. I mean death, but like, or like death <laughs> or money. Like yes, that's what it is. Precisely. Um, and, and I mean, Jake and I even do that sometimes not help each other out of all this debt that we have. But like, if we feel like we're spending too much money, like these are our two things. Like we, sometimes we don't feel like we're like being healthy enough and working out enough. And sometimes we feel like we're like spending way too much money and we need to kind of cut back. And so we'll ask each other, like, should I cook or should I like pick up like Chipotle or whatever it is? And we're like, there's pizza in the freezer and I'll be like unhealthy, but free, like, which mm-hmm. is more important right now. And we'll kind <laughs> of like go back on and forth on that together. Um, but it's helpful to kind of share that stress with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, I want to get into listener questions because okay. uh, we got a few and they're really good ones. So okay. here's the Love first it. one. I'm a big saver and the guy I'm dating is a huge spender. We've been together for a year and I definitely do see a future with him, but I'm nervous about what happens if we ultimately get married and combine our finances. Mm. How, do I know he's, how do I know he's not going to go rogue with our money? <laughs> Ooh, baby. Yeah, this is a good question. This is very common. Usually like there's in the little financial planning world there's like a phrase for that it's the go and the woe and almost always one person skews more go of like yeah let's do it let's take the trip let's buy the couch let's whatever and then there's the woe who's like whoa 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 Whoa. but can we afford it like we need to think about this and like those two personality types in general are kind of drawn to each other because it's the whole opposites attract thing I definitely think that broadly speaking my husband and I have that same kind of dynamic but financially we're actually pretty fortunate that we both are more on the saver side I think I probably used to be more frugal than him and now I think the roles have reversed a little bit and now I'm a little bit spendier but I think this concern is extremely valid and I give this individual so much credit for voicing this and being concerned about it and not just sweeping it under the rug and being like, it'll be fine. We'll figure it out. It's like, like, having having a contract involved typically makes things more serious, not less. So like, I don't think getting married is going to just magically fix that problem. But what I would ask is, When we're looking at these two frameworks of saver and spender, you can be a spender who still lives beneath your means and is generally making responsible decisions despite maybe not saving as much as you could be. And then there's the spender where it's like they are in thousands of dollars of credit card debt. They have no money to their name. And like if they have access to your money, they're going to spend that too. That's more so the one, obviously, that I would be concerned about. So I guess I'd want to know, you know, that would be my follow-up question is like, when we say he's a spender, it's like, well, how much of a spender? A spender in the sense of like, you get the sense that this guy really doesn't have any self-control or like he just likes to splurge, but generally speaking is still maintaining like a pretty normal financial life. I think that distinction is important because sometimes if you have a saver and a spender, the saver is going to skew more to valuing the future more than the present. And sometimes being with a spender can get the saver to loosen up a little bit and enjoy their life more now, which can actually be quite valuable where it becomes not valuable and where it becomes actively destructive is to her point. I don't want this person to spend all my money. I would say once you kind of get your arms around what, what is actually happening with his financial situation, um, 
my next question would probably be, well, do you have to combine finances? If you're not comfortable with that, there's nothing wrong with keeping your finances separate. I know there are a lot of hot takes about this. Of like, well, if you're going to be married, you should combine them. Everything should be joint. And to be transparent, my husband and I have combined we have a joint checking account that all of our income goes into, and then we pay all the bills out of that joint checking account and then sit, like invest in a joint brokerage account. But all of the money that we both came into the marriage with is still just in our name. So there's a okay. substantial you know, chunk of assets that are just mine and a substantial chunk of assets that are still just his legally. And then everything else that has been gained in the marriage together is in a joint pot. But so that we have more of like a yours, mine and ours thing happening. But um, I definitely don't think that if either party is uncomfortable with the idea of joining finances or maybe just uncomfortable in the beginning, like you might become more yeah. comfortable with it as you stay married and, you know, five years go by and you're like, this is fine. Like we can totally combine finances. Nothing is going to, you know, we're, we're on the same page. We're on the same wavelength, whatever. I think that that's okay to ease into later. But um, yeah, I would say if you're not comfortable combining finances, then don't. The only thing that um, I would warn about there, aside from, you know, just uh, affirming that this person does not have like an actual spending capital S capital P spending problem is once you get later into life, as in like you're putting kids through college or you're retiring, then it can get a little bit hanky if like one person has been saving and investing aggressively and has this huge nest egg to live on and the other person has not been. And now it's like you're in this position of, well, am I now going to support both of us? Like, are we both right. going to live on my savings? What do I do about you and the fact that you don't have anything to contribute? And that does happen. And I think it's, it's something that we don't often think about because we're young and we're not thinking about what it's going to be like when we retire. But that is, I would say the only watch out there is like when you do both go at it yourselves and you're both fully focused on your own financial lives and nothing is combined, it can be a little bit like the long-term effects of that can be a little bit funky. If one person is like very underprepared for retirement and the other person's ready to like go hit the Ritz in St. Thomas, like that could get weird. Yeah, I love your point about like you don't have to combine them, but I still think like I mean like as you're saying, like it's so important to continue to talk about it, you know, like <laughs> have it be a thing that is a part of the conversations you have in your relationship so you can keep each other in check, like make sure you guys are on the right track and planning for your future together. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it has to be all in the same pot, but you can at least still have your pots like going, getting filled up. Yeah. And I would also say there are so many different ways to structure it. You can have proportionally different contributions to a joint pot where it's like, oh, I make 50% more than you do. And so when we split our household finances, I'm going to put in 50% more than you do because we have such unequal finances. We didn't end up doing that. We just put them all in, in the same pot. But I do think that that's, that's something to consider. The other thing I would say is if you're entering into a marriage with somebody where you have substantially more assets than they do or vice versa, or maybe you have more debt or they have more debt. Uh, the prenup is not a bad idea for those types of situations. I, uh, I know a lot of like family law attorneys that would say, not only is it not a bad idea, it's like a requirement. If you're coming in with unequal assets, we were coming in with almost identical net worths. So we didn't end up doing one because we were like, well, at this point, if we put all this together and split it, if we get divorced, we're going to walk away with the same amount we had coming in. But you talked about it. You had that conversation. But we did talk about it. We were like, should we get a prenup? Maybe we should. I don't know. What do you think? Like, 
he wanted one at first and then kind of was like, actually, I don't know that it makes sense. And then I kind of went through a phase where I was like, I want one. But then when we looked at, we like actually sat down and looked at everything. We were like, oh man, this actually might not make any, like there's nothing to put into the prenup because we have equal assets coming in. Um, But that's another thing is if you're worried about protecting yourself, which I would say that's a very practical concern and everybody should be worried about protecting themselves. It's worth talking about and it's worth looking at and sitting down and being like, you know, are we coming in super unequally? Because if something goes wrong, it's like insurance on the marriage. You don't insure mm-hmm. your home and think, oh, I don't want homeowner's insurance. I, I My house isn't going to burn down. It's like, yeah, but what if it does? Do you really want to be like, man? <laughs> no one plans for it. Yes, no one plans for these things to happen. But I think if you think about a prenup like marriage insurance, it's a little bit easier to swallow. And that's another conversation that I think is worth normalizing because it's to me, it just signals, oh, these are two fully developed, independent people that are choosing to be together and are having the adult conversations that you need to have before you make a lifelong commitment to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of unequal finances, um, our next listener question is an interesting one. It says, my fi- my fiance comes from money and a lot of it. Navigating wedding planning has been really awkward because my parents, as the parents of the bride, wanted to pay for as much of the wedding as they can, but his ha- family wants to fund a much more extravagant and expensive wedding that we can't afford. What's the right thing to do and how do I keep the peace between everyone? Oh, that's a really good question. Did I did I hear that correctly that his family wants to fund something more extravagant? His family they, Yeah, they want it seems like they want to have a more extravagant and expensive wedding. Like And what, do they, they want w- to contribute to make that happen or do they just yes. they just expect it? Okay. They want to contribute, but her parents, because they're the parents of the bride and they plan to, you know, put on their daughter's wedding, mm-hmm. um, want to like pay for the wedding. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, man, if I had two families fighting over who was going to give me more money, I'd be like, you can make out all checks to Katie. <laughs> yeah. um, I think so. <clears throat> again, I'll speak from personal experience. We did get married in a courthouse, but we're getting remarried again a year, you know, this year uh, in like a real ceremony. And I, we basically just got checks from both sides that said like, here's what we're willing to contribute. Um, and it ended up being like pretty similar amounts. So we just put them together and said, okay, that's the budget. Um, but I do think it, it, it sounds like the main point of contention is with the bride's family of the, you know, she doesn't want to hurt her family and say like, oh, well, we want to do something more extravagant than what you mm-hmm. can afford. So I think it, it probably comes down to messaging of like, ultimately this is your wedding. What do you want? Like, do you want an extravagant wedding or do you want the wedding that your parents want you to have? I would, I would cycle back to that and be like, what type of wedding do we want me and my future spouse? And then go back to mom and dad and say, Hey, this is the type of wedding we would really like to have. Um, we, we are so grateful for your support and for you being willing to pay for it. We would like to, you know, spend more. And so we're going to get support from his family too, or we're going to put up our own money to do it. Um, and please know that this is not a reflection on your very generous contribution, not being enough, just simply that we would like, you know, that we're only getting married once. I don't know, whatever you want to say about why you want that type of wedding. But I think ultimately remembering that this is your day and nobody else's and like, yeah, I, I totally get it. You want to keep the families happy. So it has to be handled a little bit sensitively. But um, I, I do think it's it's one of those situations where framing it with respect of like 
focus making it about what you want and not about like, well, his parents really want it to be fancier than what we can do. It's like, I think that's going to just make, make everything feel yeah. tense. Um, totally. So that's probably how I would go about that one. Yeah, I think that's completely the right approach. I want to jump to the one, try and get one more question yeah, in here. Sure. So I'm just going to run right into it. Um, this one said, these are great questions, you guys. Thank you for sending these in. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you very much. I'm a teacher, so naturally my girlfriend who works in finance makes a lot more money than I do. I'm not threatened by that, but it does get uncomfortable and she always puts her card down first and insists on paying for everything. She's a really big shopper and it does sometimes make me feel sad that I can't be the one to get her the fancy things that she wants. That being said, I love my girlfriend and I want to treat her to nice dates and vacations and things like that when I can, even if it's more difficult for me to do so because of my salary. How do I get the message across that I want her to let me pay for things despite our salary differences? Oh, that's very sweet. That's very generous too. We love um, you teachers. Yeah, we We're love sorry, you teachers. You <laughs> I'm like, money. let's re rewrite this question to talk about yeah, how fucked up it is that teachers are here. so underpaid. Yep. And truly, though, it's like the fact that you can make so much more money in finance, just like worth case in yeah. point, just like putting numbers in a spreadsheet than people that are like shaping the minds of tomorrow. That's an entirely different issue. But I I would wonder if these if this couple has discussed this before, because my assumption is that she probably is thinking the same way that he is from the standpoint of, oh, I love this person. I know I can provide more. Like, I know that I have more coming in. So I want to be the one to like take that burden off of them. Like, as long as it's not in like a flagrant or kind of like, oh, I'll pay because I'm rich and you're not. Like, that's obviously right. a different story. But my assumption is that she is coming at it from the standpoint of like, oh, I love this person and I want to treat them. So they actually, these two people probably have more in common emotionally than they than he might think right now so I would I would wonder have you brought this up yet to be like hey once a week or once a month like I want to take you out and I want it to be my treat like I love you mm -hmm. and I really want to you know treat you every once in a while and so I don't know if they you know how how much they go out to eat or how often they go on dates but I think just setting that expectation and being really forthright, you know, not, not even having to make it about like, I know you make more than me, but I think if you just come at it from like, I really want to treat you, like it'll make me happy to know that I got that for you. Now with respect yeah. to the shopping thing, that's one where, um, it, it's funny, it, all of this feels so interconnected, but, but with respect to like, oh, she's a shopper and like, she's potentially used to a different kind of lifestyle. And like, I can't provide that for her. I would maybe try to focus more so on this person is obviously with you for a reason. She clearly makes enough money to buy these things on her own. She's not with you because she wants you to be bankrolling her. She's with you because you are her teammate or her partner or her, you know, the emotional support, the mental challenge. Like there are so many other valuable things that you are likely giving this person that are arguably way more valuable than money, which she already has enough of on her own. So I think that that's where it's kind of the downside maybe of those gender roles where we, you know, in like the heteronormative gendered conversation would say, well, the man should provide. It's like, I think in, in New York and DC and maybe one other place, women are now out earning men, like making 102 to, I want to say 120% of what the median male earner is making. So we're slowly oh. moving in the direction of like women out earning men. And so, mm. um, yeah, I would say that that's probably how I would start to think through that one and just focus on the value that you are providing her things that money cannot buy, like, and the value you're providing to society. 
Like, yeah, oh my god, you're clearly an amazing person. You're the, the yeah. teacher. Like, you want to treat your girlfriend who you love. Like, we yeah, I'm like, she sounds pretty fucking you. lucky in this situation. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. She is very lucky to have you, and you're lucky to have her. Um, yeah, I, I love like everything you've said today. I am so appreciative of you being here. Well, Before I let you go, I wish we could talk like for like five more hours. I have so many <laughs> things. Um, but before I let you go, what is the best piece of dating advice you've ever gotten? Oh my God. Best piece of dating advice. Probably a tie between if it's not easy, it's probably not right with respect to like, if you got to think too much about it, if you're wondering then that's eh, probably not it. And um, that whole, like, if you have to wonder if he likes you, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. I, it sounds so callous, but I've definitely, oh man, I've definitely experienced that firsthand. And I, I can say like, whenever people like marriage is so hard, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm like, did you marry the right person? Because it, it should not feel like it's hard work day in and day out. Like, yeah, it should be mostly like pretty great with the exception of like the sacrifice and compromise. Um, so, yeah, I'll settle on if it's not easy. It's probably not it. I love that so much. Katie, thank you so much for being here. Where thank can everybody you find you me. and your show? Uh, so money with money with Katie on Instagram and Twitter. And then the money with Katie show wherever you get your podcasts. So you can listen to ranting about money for hours at a time. You guys will learn so much. They're the best friends ever. I'm obsessed with them. All right. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Don't forget to give a five-star rating and review. Go follow and subscribe to Money with Katie Show and follow Katie everywhere. And we will see you next time. 